So there was an elderly couple uh, sitting together outside on the rocking chairs. And it was a beautiful day. It's fall. Woman was feeling sort of romantic. She leaned over toward her husband and she said, do you remember? She said, do you remember when we were first together and we'd be sitting together and you would just all of a sudden just reach out and hold my hand? He looked at her and he said, I sure do. And he leaned over and he put his hand on her hand and she sort of smiled to herself and she got a little bit bolder and she said, do you remember? She said, we were engaged to be married and every once in a while, she said, you just sort of lean over and put your arm around me and he looked at her and he said, you know, honey, I do. And then he leaned over and he put his arm around her and she smiled a little bit more and she got a little more bold and she said, honey, do you remember when we were first married? We'd sit like this and you'd lean over and just nibble on my ear a little bit. And the next thing you know, he got up, started walking toward the house. She looked at him and she said, what are you doing? He said, well, if I'm going to nibble on your ear, I'm going to have to put my teeth in. <laughs> funny, funny. Sorry. Anyway, uh, big hello to everybody who's watching online. This might be a chance for you to turn off now after that joke. But if you, uh, how many of you listen to Pastor Joe's weekend jokes? Oh my gosh. And you still listen to the rest of the sermon, right? It's awful. Awful, I tell you. Anyway, we're in Galatians. So if you got your Bibles, your phones, uh, turn in your Bibles to Galatians 5. Pastor John has done a great job the last two weeks, right church? Yeah, he's done a fantastic job. So blessed to have Pastor John uh, on our staff. Uh, John is our online uh, campus pastor. He's done an amazing, just an amazing job with his team. And he and his team have done a fantastic job uh, creating community with our online viewers and uh, just keeping them connected. We've seen several baptisms through Tuesday, uh, or excuse me, through online, our online services. So uh, very, very grateful for John. Pastor John will wrap up Galatians next um, next Tuesday as we finish it up. And then we're going to jump into the gospel of Mark. So if you want to start reading ahead, we're going to be preaching in the gospel of Mark. If Cliff is here, he'll kick the series off on February the 7th. Uh, if not, I will kick it off on February the 7th, but either way, we're going to be in the book of Mark. And so we look forward to that, but we're in Galatians chapter five. And if you've been following along, it's, it's pretty evident what's happening right in the church of Galatia. Paul, they came into the area, into the Galatian area. They preached the gospel. Gentiles were converted. Paul left the area to go do more missionary work. False teachers came in and basically claimed that Paul left something out. That if you truly want to follow Jesus, baptism is great, but circumcision seals the deal, right? You got to be beholden to the law if you want to seal the deal. Paul hears about it, writes this letter back to these churches, and he has been for three chapters, tons of theology, right? Now we get into, or four chapters, now we get into a lot of practical application of what it looks like to live in this idea of what Paul talks about, and that's this. Galatians 5.1 
This is the verse, right? This is the verse that wraps up the four, first four chapters, and this is the verse that sets up the next two chapters. This is the verse, and this is what Paul has been fighting for in this letter, and what the Jewish false teachers want to take away. So if you're online, if you're in here, I'd like for you guys to just read this with me. You ready? It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. We're not talking about freedom in in regards to being an American, okay? We're talking about freedom spiritually from this idea that there's a set of rules and that if you don't follow these rules, there's a certain punishment and that we, through Jesus, have been set freed from that equation, right? I remember when my oldest son turned 18 and graduated from high school. And he got home that night um, and sat down. It was late. And we sat down that night and we had a discussion about what life looks like uh, with him being out of high school and him getting ready to go to college as a freshman. And I explained to him that I'm no longer going to treat him, right, with sort of these rules as a parent to a high schooler that, that, hey, that you're going to have a curfew, right? We're not, I'm not doing that anymore, right? What I wanted him to learn was as an adult, there's freedom, right? There's freedom from these rules that his younger brothers, right, or his younger brother and sister were having to live by because he now was a graduate from high school and stepping into college. He couldn't, he couldn't grasp the idea, right? He was so used to the rule. He was so used to the rule that the idea that there wasn't a rule, he couldn't figure out how to live in that. That's what a lot of us in our faith can struggle with. So how many of you grew up in church, spent some time younger in your younger days going to church? Okay. So when we talk about rules, Right? And punishments, right? That come with it in the church world. How many of you understand what we're talking about? Right? That if you're a Christian, you can't do A, because if you do A, that equals B. Right? Paul says, we through Jesus have been freed from that system. And everybody who knows Jesus online in here says what? Hey, come on, let me hear you. Amen. Aren't you grateful? Aren't you grateful that you live in a world today that when you get up and if you have a bad day and you don't, you don't follow all the rules that you're not in danger of punishment. Are you grateful for that? Right? That's all thanks to Jesus. Right? Did I hear Pastor Ray say amen? Pastor Ray, I met a good friend of yours the other day. Uh, I met Matt, your ex, your ex neighbor. Ray, where are you? Raise your hand. Oh, there you are. Yeah, I, I saw Matt, your neighbor, right? Uh, 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 and we shared some stories, by the way, right? <laughs> you know, listen, we all have, we all have days and moments where we're not, we don't look a lot like Jesus. Yep. And aren't you grateful that the system that we have in Jesus is a system of freedom from sin and punishment? Aren't you grateful for that church? It's that freedom that Paul, right, writes this letter to defend. Because here's the thing about Jesus. In Jesus, we no longer are burdened 
with that kind of fear and that kind of responsibility. The Galatian, the Galatians were facing false teachers that were saying, no, 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 no. Jesus is great, but circumcision connects you to the law and that's even greater. And as if you were here last week, right, Paul wrote some really, really harsh words, right? Listen to what Paul said. I didn't give, I didn't ask you to put these up, Mike, so don't worry about it. Here's what Paul said. Listen to this. <coughs> in, in Galatians 5 2, he says, Mark my words, I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourself be circumcised, these are Christians. Listen, these are Christians. These are men and women who accepted Jesus, were baptized into faith. He now says to them, if you allow yourself to be circumcised, he says this. If you allow yourself to be circumcised, Christ will be of no value. Everybody say no value. Will be no value to you at all. That's harsh. This is even harsher. He says, I declare to you, everyone who lets themselves be circumcised, that he's obligated to obey the whole law. You're trying to be justified by the law. And listen to this. You've been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. Listen, it's not a simple thing to try to add to the salvation that Jesus offers by setting up this system of rules that you believe you or other people have to follow to maintain that. The Bible teaches us that you and I have been justified freely by the grace of God. Somebody say amen. Right? Don't cost you nothing. You're obligated. Now here's the problem. When you tell people that from scripture, people say, well, you're just setting people up to take advantage of God. To take advantage of grace. I don't know about you. But there have been times in my life where I've taken advantage of the goodness of somebody else. Am I the only one? No. Does that mean that if you take advantage of the goodness of somebody else, that the goodness, the rest of the goodness should be taken away from you forever? No. But that's exactly what we say. What are we scared of? Are we scared that God's going to let this person get away with this, but because I'm trying to be good, I'm not going to get away with anything. So we're hopeful that God will take care of this person and punish them since I'm trying so hard. I mean, I'm never under, I never understood what we're so afraid of when it comes to this kind of teaching. And here's the thing. This kind of teaching has been permeating the church since the beginning of the gospel. And that's the idea that there's this legalistic system that you and I are somehow made right by. I was 17 when I went to church. I had long hair. I had a loud car. I had a foul mouth. And I loved sports. And I loved girls. And that's all I cared about. And when I went to church as a 17-year-old and started going to youth group, right, I eventually heard, right, from the church, these are the things that they would say, right? If you're a Christian, you don't drink and you don't smoke and you don't chew and you don't play cards and you don't dance and you don't do all that stuff. It was all of these rules that they were laying out. Now, thank God that there were people in my life that told me what being a Christian was really about, but... And here was the crazy part. The church would say, if you were a Christian, you don't smoke. And I don't know how many of you remember churches, but when they would do communion, the table would be up front 
And the two chairs would sit opposite the communion table. Anybody remember those days? Right? And the, the lead elders would go and sit in these chairs while everybody else got served and that they would be served last. Everybody remember those days? Right? Yeah, those are wonderful days. And then those men at this church of Christ that would tell the youth group when they would come out there, if you're a Christian, you don't smoke. These men would gather after church and before Sunday school and they would all smoke and talk about farming. Now, I wasn't a smart kid growing up. But that kind of stuff made me go, huh, right? That doesn't seem right. But it's that kind of legalistic talk that happens in church all the time. Paul hates it. Of all the letters that Paul writes, he's never more angry than he is in this letter. Never more angry than he is in this letter. Because what's at stake here isn't just a misunderstanding of the gospel. What's at stake here is he says, if you add something else to salvation that Jesus offers to be saved, you've made Jesus no value to you and you have cut yourself off from Christ and you have fallen away from what? Grace. It's a pretty serious deal. It's a pretty serious deal. And so Paul Finishes out chapter five, talking about this freedom. And there's just, so I'm just going to point out, I just want to point out three, three things from this text that I think that Paul addresses when he talks about the freedom that we have in Christ. Here's the first one. The resistance to our freedom. Listen, I mean, we live in America. We love our freedom. Amen. We're not big fans of people that want to take our freedom away, are we? I mean, look at what's happening in America today. I mean, it seems like every time you turn around, somebody's wanting to take one of our freedoms, right, that have been given to us as American citizens. We now live in a, quote, democracy, right, or an age where the government wants to and is constantly fighting to take those freedoms away. And guess what? We're not very happy about that, are we, church? I'm very happy about those kinds of things being taken away from us. But here's the thing. Where there's freedom, there's always going to be resistance to that freedom. Here's what Paul said. Let's read these verses starting in verse 7. He writes, you were running a good race. Talking to these believers, Gentiles, Christians. You were doing a great job. He says, who cut in on you and kept you from obeying the truth? That kind of persuasion doesn't come from the one who calls you. Let's let's bring that verse back up, Mike. This verse right here. The kind of persuasion that's trying to get them off track, trying to get them to fail in their race. He says that does not come from the one who calls you. So this isn't a God thing, right? This isn't coming from God, okay? He goes on to say this. A little leaven or a little yeast works through the whole batch. It doesn't take much false truth, right, to affect the whole. Right? All you gotta do to believe is something very simple. Listen, everything, everything Paul said with, we agree with. You just have to be circumcised and add, add the law and everything's great. One little piece of, of yeast leavens the whole loaf. He says, in the next verse, he goes, I'm confident in the Lord that you will take no other view. The one who's throwing you into confusion will pay the penalty, whoever he may be. 
He says, brothers, if I am still preaching circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? So they weren't just teaching the false teaching. They were saying that was what Paul believed in as well, right? He says, in that case, the offense of the cross has been abolished. As Listen, listen to this. This is probably the harshest line that Paul ever penned as a writer of the New Testament. He says, as for those who are agitating you regarding circumcision, he says, I wish they would go the whole way and emasculate themselves. You get the picture, church? Somebody say yes. Because if you don't tell me you get it, I'm going to explain it. Okay? Nobody wants that, right? Listen, this is the harshest line that Paul ever penned. I wish the people that were saying this stuff would go all the way and just emasculate themselves. That's pretty harsh. I mean, if a preacher stood up in church today and said those kind of words, there'd probably be a vote to fire him afterwards, right? Unless they worked at Tomoka, right? I'm just kidding. Just kidding. Just wanted to make sure you're still there, right? But Paul's not very happy. Because what's at stake here isn't just, hey, we disagree about this. Hey, we disagree about this little point of theology. No, what's at stake here is you're either in Christ or you have fallen away from Christ, right? Christ and the cross means something to you or you have made it of no value. So let me ask you, how many of you believe that you've been saved by grace? Say amen. And that has nothing to do with you. Say amen. And yet how many of us at times have ever fought the idea, fought the idea that you've doubted your faith, you've doubted your standing with God because you haven't lived a very good Christian life. Anybody ever struggle with doubting that? And then say, well, I just got to do what? I just got to do better. I need to read my Bible more. I need to pray more. Where does that come from? It comes from this mentality that somehow you're doing something to keep yourself what? Saved. You can't do anything to keep yourself saved except stay connected to who? To Jesus. That's it. But there's resistance to this freedom. And here's where it comes from. Isaiah 14 says this. Isaiah writes... In regarding Satan, how far you have fallen from heaven, O morning star, son of the dawn. You've been cast down to the earth, you who once laid low the nations. You said in your heart, I'll ascend to heaven. I'll Listen, this is what Satan said. I will raise my throne above the what? The stars of God. Right? He says, I'll sit enthroned on the mount of the assembly on the utmost heights of the sacred mountain. I'm going to ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. And then in Ezekiel, right? Ezekiel writes this about Satan. The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, take up a lament concerning the king of Tyre and say to him. So this is what's called a near far prophecy. A prophecy that had fulfillment in the king of Tyre and a prophecy that had fulfillment in Satan. He says, this is what the sovereign Lord says. You, you were the model of perfection. Full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. 
You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone adored you. Ruby, topaz, emerald, chrysolite, onyx, jasper, sapphire, turquoise, and beryl. He says, your settings and mountings were made of gold. On the day you were created, these were prepared. You were anointed as a guardian cherub, for so I ordained you. You were on the holy mount of God. You walked among the fiery stones. You were blameless in your rays from the day that you were created till wickedness was found in you. Through your widespread trade, you were filled with violence and you sinned clearly about the king of Tyre. So I drove you in disgrace, he says, from the mount of God. I expelled you, O guardian cherub, from among the fiery stones. Your heart became proud on account of your beauty and you corrupted your wisdom because of your splendor. So I threw you to the earth and I made a spectacle of you before the kings. Let's be clear about where the false teaching of this sort comes from. It comes from the one who from the minute or from the moment he was created and understood his beauty and understood his place and understood his perfection who wanted to be God. This is where that comes from. Because Satan Satan only has one goal, church. His goal is to be what? Say it again. His goal is to be what? God, he doesn't care about you. He doesn't care about your family, your home, your health. He cares that you see him as the almighty. Which means you can't see God as almighty. So one of the ways he does it is he convinces you of another gospel. Because if you don't need Jesus to be saved, but you can keep a set of rules and be saved, guess who becomes God? You do. You do. You have the ability to save yourself. Well, if I go to church, I should dress right. The outward clothes say a lot about my faith. Well, if you're a Christian, you shouldn't have long hair. And if you're a man, you shouldn't wear an earring or have a tattoo, right? And if you're a woman, you can never, ever come to church in pants. You always have to wear a long dress, and it always has to be below the knees. Do you remember all these silly things? And we said all these things for generations to people and raise children to believe them so. And the reality is this, church, we are saved by... We're not saved by rules and sets of clothes and that nonsense. John the Baptist was a mess. He lived in the wilderness and ate locusts and wild honey, right? The Bible says the people on the earth called Jesus a glutton, a glutton and a drunkard. And yet we told people forever, when you go to church, when you go to God's house, you put on your best clothes. Well, that eliminates poor people, doesn't it? Because poor people didn't have great clothes, did they? And if you're a Christian, men, you should have your hair cut short. Women, you should have your hair cut long. And women, you should never, ever overdo it. Never wear dress pants because that's a man's outfit. And men, you should never have an earring or a tattoo or long hair because that's what a woman looks like. And we told people these things because we said, we said to these people, if you follow these things, you will be saved. That's exactly what we taught them. And you know what the Bible calls that? Heresy. False teaching. And you know where it comes from? Not from the one that calls us. This comes from the devil himself. Why? Because if he can make you and me the master of our own salvation, we don't need God. You see how subtle Satan is? You say, well, if we don't set those kind of rules, the people will do whatever they want to do. I don't know if you know this or not, but God is a really big God and he can handle some disobedient children. 
Would you agree with that? He can handle it. And he didn't. Listen, when I got saved, God didn't give me a badge and say, I'm going to need you to police these people, Cord. He didn't. Did anybody here get a badge when they got baptized? No, 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 no. I didn't think God called any of you into the service to police everybody's behavior. But boy, isn't that what we did forever and a day? We policed them. We police people. And the reality is this. You've been saved by... You're not saved by that nonsense. Here's what Jesus said of the Pharisees that taught this stuff. Matthew 23, it says this. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You travel over land and sea to win a single convert. And when he becomes one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as you are. (laughs) Yeah, wow. You see, the people have a false religion. He says, even when you convert one of these people to your false gospel, all you've done is send them to hell and made them look like a son of hell twice as much as you already are one. Harsh words. Jesus goes on to say this. What are you teachers of the law and Pharisees? You hypocrites. See, here's the thing. The minute you set up a system that says these are the rules you got to follow to be saved, you immediately make yourself out to be a what? A hypocrite. Because guess what? You're the guy smoking outside of the church after you just went to the youth group and told the high schoolers to not smoke. You know what those people are called? They're called the what? A hypocrite. Jesus said, woe to you, teach the law of Pharisees, you hypocrites. You're like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of dead men's bones and everything unclean. He says, in the same way, on the outside, you appear to people as what? Righteous, but on the inside, you're what? Full of hypocrisy and wickedness. Listen, that's all that gospel teaches. It teaches an outward appearance of righteousness, sobriety, perfection. But inside, it's full of hypocrisy and wickedness. Because guess what? I never met a person that could save himself. I never met a person that could save himself. Amen, church? We're saved by... We're not saved by your rules, my rules. We're not saved by your clothes. We're not saved by the standards that you set. We're saved by grace, which means who can be saved? Anyone and everyone, no matter what the color of your skin is, doesn't matter what your economic situation is, doesn't matter what your last name is, just ignore that, right? Doesn't matter what your last name is, right? Doesn't matter about any of that stuff. You're saved by, and it's for And listen, we live in a world where we're constantly going to fight it. Paul wrote this in Colossians 2. He says, therefore, don't let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink, right? Or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration or a Sabbath day. These are... Sound like that was going to land on the church parking lot, didn't it? I knew eventually Joe would get a plane. I knew he would, right? These are shadows of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in who? Jesus, man, don't let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you for the prize. Such a person goes into great detail about what he or she has seen and his unspiritual mind puffs them up with idle notions. They've lost connection with the head from whom the whole body supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews grows as God causes it to grow. He says, since you died with Christ to the basic principles of this world, why as though you still 
still belong to this world, do you submit to all those rules? Don't touch this and don't taste that and don't hang on to this. These are destined to perish with use because they're based on human commands and teachings. He says, such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. Listen, all the rules and regulations we can put forth to people don't change anybody. They have no value. We're saved by... So Paul says, it's for freedom in Jesus that you've been set free. Don't... Listen, are there things you shouldn't do as a Christian? Come on, are there things you shouldn't do as a Christian? Of course. And if you get into the end of chapter 5, where we should have gotten today, but I've run out of time, right? Is that there are works of the flesh and works of the spirit. The responsibility we have for our freedom is to say no to the flesh. But I do want to close with this. So listen, where there's freedom, there's always going to be resistance. And the resistance in our freedom comes from Satan. He doesn't want you to honor God because Satan wants to be what? He wants to be God, which means he needs you to save yourself. So why not teach these people about a a set of rules and regulations and clothes they should wear and words they should say and foods they should eat and drinks they shouldn't touch and music they shouldn't listen to. Let's teach people all those things because if we can get them to believe as long as they do these things, they're going to be saved. They've become the master of their own salvation and they won't worship God. Well, guess who gets to be God when God isn't God? Satan, right? That's the goal. But there's a response to our freedom that I want to leave you with. Because this is where we, in 2023, have to stand out. Listen, everybody in here is of a certain, most everybody in here and most people watch online are of a certain age. I'm 55. I would suggest the majority of us, if you're under this, don't be offended, right? You just should be grateful that you're younger than 59, right? But the majority of us are 59 and older, right? And the reality is this. You and I, I think, would agree that America, at its core, has become a much darker nation than it ever has before. Yes or no? It's a very dark place. It's a very scary place when you get to listen to it. When you get to listen to the things that certain people want us to teach our children in school, it's a little scary. Would you agree? We live in a dark world. We've always known that. We called those places the third world countries, right? The impoverished Central American countries, the impoverished South American countries, the whole continent of Africa. We believed in a dark world. We just never lived in a dark country before, and it's getting darker all the time. Yeah, I feel like somebody's just circling the place, right? Man, I better get this done and go outside so we can see what's going on, right? Thanks. Thank you for not just getting up and going to look. I appreciate that. So there's a resistance to freedom. The responsibility to freedom is to not live according to the flesh. Listen, that's every Christian's responsibility to live according to the spirit, not according to the flesh. But the response, listen to what Paul says in verse 13. And I, and I'm going to close with this, this little thought here. He says, you, my brothers, were called to be free. Don't use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Here's what we should do. This is the response. Listen, response and responsibility are different. 
Our response to the freedom we have in Jesus is not to the sinful nature, but rather it's to what? Everybody read it with me. Serve. See, that's the response. You want to know how to measure whether somebody truly gets that they're free in Christ? Watch how they treat other people. Don't watch how loud they sing. Don't watch them get self-righteous because you said something wrong or off-collared. Or they look at you because you wore something stupid to church and they can't understand this and that about you. He says, you want to know if people are responding proper to the freedom they have? He says, if they're not to focus on their sinful nature, they're rather to serve one another in love. Listen to what he says. He says, the entire law. Everybody say the entire law. The Jews wanted him to follow the law. Get circumcised, they said. Follow the law, they said. It'll save your soul, they said. What does Paul say? He says the entire law, all of it, is summed up in one commandment. One. Not a million. Not a thousand. You don't do this, and you don't touch that. You don't taste that, and you don't listen to this, and you don't go there. He said the law is summed up in how many commandments? One. One. And what is it? Love your neighbor as yourself. How many of you appreciate the freedom that you have in Jesus? Say amen. amen. Then you know what? The most evident thing about you should be how you treat other people. Just the way it looks. Because if you truly get how free you are in Jesus, your response to other people will be hugely different. Listen to what he said. He goes on to say this. If you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by who? Listen, our country is getting darker. Amen? And you know what a dark space needs? It needs what? It needs light. Do you have to stand for truth, for what God's word says? Yes, you do. But you know what Christians who've been set free by the grace of God through the blood of Jesus do? They serve one another in what? They don't bite and devour. That means they don't use their words to destroy everybody. I want to, listen, I want my country to change. I want my country to change. I want my grandchildren I want my grandchildren to live in a healthier nation. I don't want my grandson and my granddaughters going to a public school where basically they're taught crazy notions about sexuality and morality. I don't want that. Do you? No. And here's the thing, church. You want to know how we're going to get there? We're going to get there. By responding to our freedom the right way and loving our neighbor. How? Stop using this so much. Start using these a lot more. And respond to the freedom you have in Jesus the right way. Because our world needs to see it. I'm going to read one verse to you here. Um, Mike, I want you to bring up First John chapter... Um, 4 and verse 20 in that second point. Here's what the John writes. He says, if anyone says, I love God. How many of you, 
Say it with me right now. Those three words. I. He says, if anyone says that and yet hates the brother, he is a. He says, for anyone who doesn't love their brother whom they see can't love God whom they don't. Listen. When I finally figured out that I was free in Jesus, I mean truly free. And this is the person who walked away from Bible college, walked away from my ministry degree, walked away from church, wasn't, was divorced, had made some really poor moral decisions, was remarried. I was in a dark spot. It was in the darkest of dark spots that God finally, finally communicated to me that my freedom in Jesus is 100% secure and that every morning through the blood of Jesus, God's mercies are new to me every day. That means that no matter what you count against me, he counts nothing against me. And the last time I checked, it was the blood of his son and not your child that saved me. When that finally got clear to me, my life began to change. Because here's what I know about grace. It's when you get grace that your life begins to change. Because Paul writes to Titus, he says, it's the grace of God that teaches us to say no to unrighteousness. You want to grow in your faith? You want to stop doing sinful things? Understand grace. These false teachers wanted to take it away from these Galatian Christians. Paul says, it's not a small thing to add something to Jesus to be saved. He says, when you do that, you're no longer even connected to Jesus, which means you're no longer what? Saved. Listen, I don't know where you're at, those of you online or those of you in here, but I will tell you this, that Jesus needs no help to save you. Somebody say amen. amen. So if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, what are you waiting on? I know that you know that you need this. And if you're online, if you're online and it's the same thing for you, you've never done this, right? There's a button. You simply push it. I have decided somebody will be in contact with you to have that conversation. If you're here, we'll have that conversation right up front. You can come forward when we sing and we'll do and we'll help in any way we can. Because listen, when Jesus saves, he saves completely. It is for freedom that we've been set free. Therefore, don't let anybody take you into bondage anymore. Amen, church. Let's pray. Father, thank you for that blood that sets us free. Thank you so much that it's complete. And Father, for every, every false motive, false teaching that we've ever been taught or we've ever tried to propagate to other people, Father, convict us of that wrong and of that sin and help us to never do it again. Father, teach us that there are things we shouldn't do as people who are led by the Spirit. But those things don't change our standing with you because of Jesus. Father, remind us and teach us and change our hearts to this truth that it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Holy Spirit, teach us to live well in that freedom. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.